0: So when you look into the relationships of your past, when you look at the relationships in your life, what have been the consistent themes of those relationships? What have been uh, the foundational things that put those relationships together around which those relationships were based? The foundational stuff that was the, the glue the togetherness for those relationships. What, as you look in your past, are the the patterns for those relationships? Money, sex, power, status. Maybe it was you making yourself look good, manipulating and perverting that relationship so so that you always ended up looking off looking better off because of that interaction. Maybe it was uh, pacifying yourself. Maybe it was pleasing or pacifying others. What are the kinds of things, as you look back over the relationships in your life, you look at the patterns of the the foundational stuff and the reasons why they became relationships, what are those patterns and, and what's the foundational basis for those relationships as you look back in your life? For me, I see versions of all of those things we named just a bit ago. I see versions of a a relational tie, a foundation, a basis that I had with others that was something about getting from someone else or making sure I got something that made me look good. I see versions of all those kinds of dynamics. Uh, Let me explain what I mean. In, In regeneration, which is something we do on Monday nights, come join us, 6.30 to 8.30, it's great, it's our main discipleship training, happens at our Gainville campus, parenthetical advertisement, over. In regeneration, uh, once you've gone to a certain step in regeneration, what we do is we name out loud those patterns in our lives, and oftentimes they're about relationships uh, that we've had. For me, I stand up on Monday nights, and. And I say out loud, my name is Scott, and I have a new life in Christ. And I'm in recovery for, and I name a few things uh, performance based acceptance, an addiction to pornography, and pride, and anger, and depression, and Oreos sometimes I name, because it's the latest struggle. But I say out loud, the things that have been the foundational bases for my relationships. Think about the kinds of things I said there. Performance-based acceptance. For me, that's an all-encompassing term that means a a lot of things, but the first version of that was being a people-pleaser. I realized early on in my regeneration process of working through the patterns of sin I've seen in my life, my sin against others and their sins against me, I noticed that there's this people-pleasing thing that I have that was much more the reason I had meaningful in my mind relationships with people in my past. Where did that come from? Why, why was that the case? Why did I feel this need to please people in a way that meant that they would like me and, and we could have an ongoing relationship where I didn't need to feel from them something I didn't want to and, and I could make them feel good and they liked me and I moved on from those relationships feeling like I'd... Ple- where did that come from? Pornography was obviously about pleasing myself. It was about assuaging anger in my past. When I think about the patterns in my life, about the the pride and the the anger and the depression I've experienced over the course of many decades of my life, I think those were the kinds of things in my relationships that were more central to, to why I operated as I did with those people in my life. I see that I've named out loud, in a sense, the things in which I've rooted my identity in my past with those people. And behaviors that weren't Christ-centered, that were me-centered. So what sorts of things And what sorts of reasons have been the fundamental, foundational bases for a lot of your relationships in your life? Can you point to those? Can you name those? Are you you well aware of those? Are they rooted in Jesus? (laughs) Or are they rooted in something else? Or someone else? Or in self? Or in mollifying yourself? Or pacifying yourself? Or pleasing others? what have been the consistent patterns in the relationships of your life that were the glue that kept those relationships together? Can you name them? Are you aware? Do you know? Is it rooted in Jesus or is it rooted in something else? Friends, this matters. This is a big deal because today Paul gives us an example of how an old relationship that was rooted in worldly definitions, the kinds of things I've named that are about self, an old relationship that was rooted in something other than Jesus had now become a new relationship that was centered around Christ. And it changed the way that these two people were supposed to interact with one another. So we've got three characters in our story today. Three characters in the story, the apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Philemon. We have Paul, and then we have Onesimus, who was a slave who became a Christian through Paul while they were in prison together, and then we also have Philemon. Philemon had been master to Onesimus, and Philemon also became a Christian through Paul. So Paul was a father in the faith to both Onesimus and Philemon. And so these three characters, Paul, Onesimus... Philemon. And here's the catch. Here's why Paul wants Onesimus and Philemon to get along when they hadn't been, <laughs> to be defined by this new relationship that was rooted in Christ. Because Onesimus, who had been um, a, a bond servant, it was an economic relationship where um, Philemon took care of Onesimus, gave him money, gave him food, gave him lodging. It was an old form of slavery that wasn't race-based and and usually wasn't for life, Um, but it was the kind of thing where this old relationship was defined differently because Paul was saying, Philemon, Onesimus, you now know Jesus. Your identity is rooted in something new and different, so you have to get along. And here's the catch. (laughs) Onesimus had run away before he was a Christian, but now he was a Christian. So Paul is writing to Philemon, and this is the main gist of the passage today. He's writing to Philemon to appeal for him to bring back, to receive back Onesimus as a brother in Christ uh, because they were co-workers now in the gospel. The old things on which their relationship with, was based have gone away. The new relationship was this co-worker relationship, this co-worker for the gospel relationship. It is that co-working relationship that Paul is leveraging here to appeal to Philemon to bring back, to receive Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother and a co-worker in Christ. Jump in with me, Philemon, first verse, we see Paul making this appeal to Philemon, in the very first few verses, based on familial, family of God, forever together kind of language. Look at this. He says, number one, uh, verse one, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, meaning he's writing from prison. He'll remind us of this about 20 times. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, he's writing to Philemon, our brother, Notice already at the very beginning, he's using family language here in verse 1. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I'm suffering for the sake of Christ. And then we also have Timothy, who's our brother. There's a lot of family language that goes on here. So Paul starts with a standard from to greeting in the letter. But notice the appeal is from Paul in prison and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. Verse 1, Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. So he's saying... This new definition of relationship is based on who we are together for the sake of the gospel. I, Paul, and Timothy, to you, Philemon, verse 2, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our our fellow soldier. So he's saying, we're brothers in the faith. I'm your father in the faith. I'm in prison suffering and we are together in this work, not only were co-workers, but like he says in verse 2, we are co-soldiers. We're in this war together, Philemon, and we were even co-worshippers the church in your house. And so he says, we're brothers in the faith. I am your spiritual father. We are co-workers, we're co-laborers in this war together. We are co-worshippers because we met in the church in your house. And then he says this, verse 3. This is the foundational stuff that is the new relationship stuff. It's the new relationship glue, verse 3. Paul writing to Philemon. Grace to you and peace, meaning a new relationship of peace that's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ christ paul starts out here in verse 3 saying here's where the basis of my appeal to you philemon really comes from you're a co-working co-working co-warrior co-worshiping brother of mine and my appeal to you to accept onesimus as we'll see throughout it comes from the grace and the peace that we share in jesus which is to say no relationships are reconciled based on anything else My appeal to you, Philemon, comes from the grace and the peace that we share in Jesus, meaning the foundational stuff that is the glue between us is the gift of God's undeserved grace and mercy and favor that we've received that comes from Jesus. That alone, Paul says at the very beginning, is the stuff of real relationship that lasts forever. That's the stuff of real reconciliation that I'm asking you, Philemon, to have with this co-worker, this brother, Onesimus. And while we'll see here throughout that that Paul is going to leverage his being Philemon's father in the faith faith, to an almost uncomfortable extent, um, he's ultimately saying, Philemon, I want this foundational truth that Jesus is the glue between us to be what truly makes your life and your witness effective. You've heard people say they'll know we're Christians by our love. That's just, that's just a good way to summarize a, a few places in the Bible that say that. Like your life and your witness is effective as we love one another well. That's essentially what he says. Look at verse 6. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, remember Paul writing to Philemon, might become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of of Christ (laughs) so let me be more specific Philemon here's how I want you to make this corporate witness effective in your relationship with this former slave he says this verse 8 accordingly because I want you to be effective though I am bold enough in Christ Paul doesn't have a problem with boldness Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, though I could demand this because I'm your spiritual father, friendly reminder, I'm also in prison, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And then he begins to lay it on kind of thick here. Look at verse 9. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, second time, maybe even third, second time, I think, A prisoner also for Christ Jesus, in case you've forgotten, I'm your spiritual father. You owe me something. I'm in prison suffering. I appeal to you for my child, more family language, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I'm his father in the faith, just like I'm your father in the faith. So he's starting to put them in this, this equal ground here. In fact, he says this, verse 11, formerly And this sounds at first like Paul's being harsh. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and to me. Now, while this sounds like Paul's being uh, harsh here, Paul actually says this because Onesimus' name literally means useful. So he's saying, now that your co-laborers, your identity and your relationship is Christ, Onesimus is actually more useful to you than he was before, not just as a bond servant in this economic master-slave kind of way, but even much more, as he says in verse 6, for the sake of effective witness in Christ, your unity can demonstrate that. He's saying his name, Onesimus, it now fits because of Jesus and because the unity you have. So he says, based on that foundation, I'm sending him back to you, verse 12, I'm sending him, he calls him my very heart, I would have been glad to keep him with me, he would have been useful for me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf, during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So that receiving him back, so that you receiving former slave Onesimus back would not be under compulsion, but it would be because of this new Christ-centered relationship that we all now have Paul, Onesimus, Philemon. And and, and even though it sounds like Paul is sort of laying it on thick, don't forget I'm in prison, I'm your spiritual father, you owe me, bro. I mean, it's like that kind of repeated language to uh, Philemon in 20 different ways. This is just plain uh, Paul being real serious, straight up serious about what he's asking of Philemon because he doesn't ask others to do what he himself uh, doesn't do. He's just saying, dude, the gift of grace of Jesus in you is something that must translate into a new and changed relationship with Onesimus. He, he's no longer how you used to consider him. He's now a coworker, a fellow warrior for the sake of Christ with you. Plus, Paul says, God is behind all this. Look at verse 15. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while. Uh, That's what we call the divine passive. I'll explain that a bit in a bit here. Um, For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. In other words, Paul's saying God's purposes are being revealed here. You see Onesimus is returning to a different relationship with you that you now have in Jesus because God is, is making his purposes known. And as brothers in Christ, this is a relationship that will last forever. So receive him back in accordance with the new reality of being brothers and in accordance with what God's obviously doing to bring you together for the sake of verse six, the effectiveness of the sake of the gospel moving forward. So he's saying not only in the previous verses is the foundation of Jesus for the sake of witness, but verse 15, God is putting this together so that you might have him back forever, right? Like this new relationship is a forever relationship in the gospel for the family of God, no longer, verse 16, as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, now as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul says, think of the witness that you could have now because of the new relationship you have in Jesus. People were aware, perhaps, around uh, Philemon, I assume, uh, that, he, that he had Onesimus who ran away. Uh, in fact, we'll see later on that Paul wants to repair the relationship by putting his own money on the line for it. So people around Philemon probably would have seen Onesimus' return and this new relationship that was a Christ-centered relationship, and they would look at that and they would go, that is what the gospel does. That is why Paul says, verse 6, this is about the effectiveness of your witness for the sake of Christ. Make no mistake. The effectiveness of our witness for the sake of Christ in the world is rooted in the truth Jesus is the foundation of our relationships and nothing else. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, your co-worker, your co-laborer, if the relationship that we have is legit, Philemon, verse 16, then, look at this, receive him, receive Onesimus, as you would receive me. Press pause here for just a second here on verse 17. Receive him as you would receive me. Friends, the basis of a relationship that is a world's definition that is not the forever relationship of the gospel of the good news of Jesus is not a basis on which to reconcile with anybody. He says receive him as you receive me because he's saying the grace of, of God we have in Jesus, that is real relationship reconciliation. If a hurt is real, if sin is real, if the sin of you against others and others against you, if that's real and there's, there's emptiness and there's a, there's a debt owed and there's, there's something to be paid back and there's this, this feeling we have in our relationships of needing justice, If it's real, actual reconciliation relationally with other people, it can only be based in the grace we've received from Jesus. This is the foundational stuff that Paul is basing this whole letter on. (laughs) This former slave who has run away probably owes something. And Paul says, you are to receive him back as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all, Paul's serious about this, verse 18. If he's wronged you at all, speaking to Philemon about Onesimus, if Onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account, I'll pay for it. He says, I write this with my own hand, meaning he was probably dictating this to somebody who wrote it, and he grabs the pen and he says, I'm going to write this with my own hand, I will repay it. I'm serious about this, Paul says, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. I'll repay anything Onesimus owes you. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you, verse 20, in the Lord refresh my heart in Christ, verify the legitimacy of our relationship by how you receive Onesimus. There's something there, friends. You verify the legitimacy of your Christ-centeredness and your understanding of the grace and your belief in the truth of the gospel by how you receive others back in grace. You prove you're the real deal if you can reconcile with others based on grace alone, You demonstrate your trust in the blood of Jesus alone to save you if you can demonstrate that with another. You verify you believe in the gospel based on whether or not you behave in ways that demonstrate that grace is the foundational stuff, the glue that holds it together, and the reconciliatory glue of that relationship coming back together. He says, confident of your obedience, (laughs) Paul does not lack in confidence, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing you will do even more than I say. So the three relationships that we see here, Paul, Philemon, Onesimus, they're now fundamentally redefined in a way that Paul is appealing to. And what he wants Philemon to see is what he wants us to see that this new in Christ family is made up of more fundamental stuff than the worldly relationships of household or society, and that we must govern our attitudes and our actions toward one another on the basis of this new spiritual relationship. So if you really believe this stuff, if you really believe that Christ paying for your sins is the actual glue of fellowship, then you will not only have an understanding of that conceptually, but you will live that out in your relationships. Not always waiting for someone else to understand grace and come to you. Does that sound like grace? Grace's understanding that was given to us is unearned, undeserved. You can't have it unless He gives it to you. And those who receive others, as we've been received, take the idea, the concept, the theory, and they live it as if they trust it. Not constantly sitting back, waiting for somebody else to be the first grace-based reconciler. If you believe this, Paul says, you will live it. You will go to somebody else in grace. You won't sit around waiting for somebody else just because you have holes in you. We all do. That's why it has to be grace. When we become people where grace is what puts us together and is the glue and the the fellowship between us and it's what motivates us to go to others to reconcile where there's a need. When people see that, they'll go, there's something going on there because that's abnormal and weird. And that's when the world will look at the people of God and they'll say, those people are doing the will of somebody other than what I normally see in relationships. Don't sit around waiting for everybody else to be the grace-first person. If you believe it, you'll live it. It won't be just some intellectual theory. It will be how you actually live from day to day as if you depended upon it, because that's real. That's real. Because the blood of Jesus was real. In history. Shed for us to show us (laughs) that he gives us what we couldn't earn, a reconciliation with God the Father so that he could make of us people who do his will, so that others could see in cross-based, grace-based relationships where we step forward and we die to self for the sake of reconciliation with others, that people would see that and they would say, that's Jesus. That's the real thing. The world has enough fakes. There are enough Christians who talk in theory but don't live in practice. Please let us be people who model the kind of thing that we see Paul appealing to make happen here. That this new identity in Jesus is actual, it's practiced, it's lived, grace is real. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for living as if grace is just theory and that it's just something that we get from you. Help us to steward the gift in ways that witness to its truth so that our relationships would be rooted in your son Jesus and for his sake and that we would find joy in that purpose.